Hey guys, happy Sunday or happy whatever day you are listening to this in the week. I hope that you have had an awesome day so far. I am very excited to bring to you the fourth episode of our Advent with Allison series. We are getting pretty close to Christmas now and hopefully you've been able to get all the gifts that you are getting ready for your loved ones. Hopefully you're not that person who's going to be last minute shopping. I know that happens to us sometimes, so no shame there. But hopefully you're definitely in the Christmas spirit by this point. You got the music out and you're enjoying your Christmas season so far. And we are just a week out from Christmas. So we're on, as I mentioned, part four of Advent with Allison. And today we're actually going to be talking about forgiveness, which is a tough topic, I think, for a lot of people. It is for me, not because it's not a good thing. Forgiveness is a great thing, but it can be very hard to practice in our lives. And it is a requirement of the Christ follower, but it cannot, it's not always something that is easy. Today, we are not going to be talking about just any forgiveness, but we're talking about God's forgiveness and what that means for us, how Christians should be modeling forgiveness in their own lives, and like I mentioned again, why it's something that is required from a Christian and it's not just something that is an optional recommendation. We are talking about a forgiveness that crushes curses and defies death and overcomes opposition of all kinds. We are talking about a forgiveness that is more powerful than anything, a forgiveness that has resurrection power. Forgiveness is something that we don't always want to talk about because it's not a very attractive topic or it's not even very fun. It's not fun to talk about what forgiveness looks like and how we can move on from past hurts or how we can seek forgiveness from other people. Culture and society have shifted and manipulated the word forgiveness to mean something completely different that is not desirable at all and actually not holy or something that Christians should be pursuing. I think this is definitely a way that Satan can get under our skin. He can manipulate the meanings of words. That's what he has been doing since the very beginning. He's been manipulating God's message. We talked about that in our very first episode of Advent, and we mention this a lot frequently throughout our podcast, that manipulation and taking control of language is a primary method and mode of deceit that the devil likes to use. And this is forgiveness is not something that gets an exception from that. Satan wants to destroy. He wants to completely ruin everything. And forgiveness is not something he's going to let off the hook or forget about. So we have to keep that in mind. He has insidious intent. He would love for us to not forgive each other and to constantly hold things against each other in a way that will disparage each other and erode relationships. Satan would love to watch that happen. So we have to make sure to be on our guard. First of all, we have to recognize the way that society tells us that we shouldn't forgive people and that we shouldn't excuse people. I think that society tells us often and culture would give us the message that We deserve revenge and retribution for things that have happened to us, that we should be allowed to put others in their their place who have wronged us or hurt us. Anger and bitterness is something that comes to us very, very naturally, at least for me. Forgiveness is something that I've struggled with my entire life, and I don't think it's something that I'll ever not struggle with. I've gotten better over my lifetime with forgiving people, but it's always been a struggle. You know, when we have this phrase called road rage, we talk about how quickly we can get angry at other people or 
someone offends us with a look or with words or somehow in their actions and culture would love for us to say you know what they don't deserve forgiveness we often think that forgiveness is letting somebody off the hook for their actions or for the way that they've hurt us society would frequently like us to think that to forgive someone is to excuse them or to justify what they have done and that's not it at all there's nothing biblical about not recognizing the way that somebody has hurt you or the consequences of their actions. There's nowhere in the Bible that you can find somewhere that will diminish the fact that you do experience hurt and pain from other people in your life. You cannot get through life without being hurt. That's not a newsflash to anybody. That is not anything new to anybody. We all know that life is painful. We get hurt by others frequently, and we also wound other people with the things that we say and the things that we do. The second issue with the way that society considers forgiveness is that we think, first of all, like I said, you don't have to forgive. And then second, if you do forgive, then it makes us think that we're somehow weak or we're excusing that somebody who has hurt us if we choose to forgive them. I remember I was talking with a friend a few weeks ago and I was talking about how there's somebody that we know that frequently has a habit of deceit And while lying is not okay at all, deceit is not an okay thing and it is offensive and it hurts people, I was explaining the reason why I was going to let that go in my life, let that deceit go and just forgive and move on. And that person was telling me that I shouldn't make excuses for this person. And they meant all, they meant well, 100% they meant well. And they said that you shouldn't diminish what they've done. And forgiveness is actually not doing that at all. Society would tell you that if you are to forgive someone, then somehow you are diminishing the pain that you've experienced based on somebody sinning against you. There is nothing biblical about that. You do not have to condone or justify what that person has done to you, and you also should not be condoned or justified in your evil actions against other people. But forgiveness in its truest form is releasing the person from that and also releasing yourself from that prison of anger and of bitterness and of resentment. A metaphor that I frequently heard about forgiveness is that being bitter against somebody is like drinking poison and expecting the person that hurts you to be the one that dies. Or Forgiveness is like holding on to a bomb and just the time is just going to tick down until that's going to explode inside of you and like expecting that other person to be the one that gets exploded or they're the person that's going to experience a consequence. So not trying to paint a graphic image for you, but you understand the point that I'm trying to make. When you hold something against somebody else or you refuse to forgive somebody, you're actually the person that suffers. That person does eventually move on from what they've done or said and they cast it out of their minds. They keep going with their lives. But often it's something that sits with you you for a very long time. And if you refuse to forgive someone for something small, that snowballs, that stays in your mind. It snowballs into something way bigger than it really originally was. I have had times where there have been minor offenses done against me, just moments of anger or frustration, just quick things and people have snapped at me and I will allow that to sit in my head sometimes for a very long time and that will make me bitter against that person and I won't want to be around them or talk to them. And that is not godly or holy at all. But what ends up happening once when I decide to ruminate on that and dwell on that and continue to steam about it or I gossip about them or I complain about 
about them, what happens is that original few phrases that they said or the hurt that they've done against me turns into something way bigger than it ever was when it could have been something that I said, you know what, I'm going to forgive and move on. That doesn't mean it didn't hurt. That doesn't mean it didn't offend me, but I'm going to move on from that. And that could be the end of it. But when we refuse to forgive people, we stay stuck in that hurt and we never move forward. We never step forward. And that is really what the devil would like for us to do. He would like for us to stay in that sense of anger against other people, which creates a rift of our in our relationship with God. And the Satan would love that. He would love the idea, the fact that you are going to be separated from God as as a result of you refusing to forgive other people for have, how you have been hurt. So we're going to unpack some primary aspects about forgiveness that I thought were really critical as I was studying forgiveness. There are four big key truths about forgiveness that I wanted to share with you today. The first is that forgiveness is a choice and it is not a feeling. Recently, I did have to forgive someone who said something to me that was offensive and hurt my feelings. And I had to be in that moment forgiving. I had to tell that person, you know, I forgive you. It's forgotten. We're moving on. Now, that didn't mean that in the moment I didn't feel hurt because I did. I did feel offended. I did feel wounded. There was a part of me that just wanted to react in anger and show that person the pain that they inflicted upon me. But I chose to forgive that person. Did it feel good? Not necessarily in the moment. It felt good in the way that I knew I was doing the right thing and I knew that God was honored in my actions, but it didn't feel good, meaning that necessarily I felt this this was all happy-go-lucky and I'm going to move forward feeling completely fine because it takes a little bit of time to reset yourself, allow your emotions to cool off, and for that relationship to feel stable and normal again. And I just want to say that that's a, a completely normal thing to feel that forgiveness is not always going to feel good in the moment. Actually, most times it's not going to. It's not always going to feel good or fair. Forgiveness means that you are releasing that person and yourself, even when it would be way easier to just steam in that hurt and to lash back out at them or to brood on it. And like I said, gossip or complain about them to somebody else. That is always the easier option. It is so much harder to go down that narrow path and be the bigger person and forgive that person. It would be so much easier to just get angry at them back. But the truth is, at the end of the day, that's not going to resolve anything. That is not going to result in any productive forward movement in that relationship. And you know that. And you and I both know that. Reacting in the same way they've treated you in anger or in frustration or with hurt, that's just going to multiply the pain. However, Let me be completely clear. The pain incurred or havoc wreaked on your life as a result of what someone has done against you is very, very real. Your feelings and your emotions are valid. What you feel as a result of someone sinning against you, regardless of how little or how deep that hurt was, it is real. Your pain and your feeling and your suffering are real and they are seen by God. That's a critical part of understanding forgiveness, that forgiving someone is not saying that it didn't hurt. Forgiveness is not saying that it didn't impact you. And sometimes the consequences of what someone has done against us or said to us last for a very long time. Those wounds go pretty deep and they take a very long 
long time to heal. Sometimes they take a lifetime to heal and that is okay. Allow no one to take away from you that pain and the consequences of the havoc that was wreaked on your life. Invalidating your feelings is ultimately a disservice to reality, which is also a disservice unto truth, which is at the end of the day, a disservice unto God. We have to be honest with ourselves and be honest with God and cry out to him and say, hey God, this is how I'm feeling. This is what this person has done and I'm feeling rejected or I'm feeling abandoned or I'm feeling hurt or I'm feeling angry. Whatever emotion you're experiencing that moment, God wants you to bring that to him because he's first of all going to comfort you. He's going to show up for you and I know that. But second of all, he's going to tell you to forgive. Everything in his word is going to tell you to forgive and release that person. To stay in that rut of pain and to become bitter, resentful, is is sinful. It's unholy. And what it will do over time is erode that relationship. The more that that goes on, the longer that you allow that bitterness to go on, the harder and harder it becomes to forgive that person. So what I would say to you is not to wait for the feeling to come, the feeling of feeling vindicated or that you receive retribution, to not wait for that feeling to come. Most of the time, that feeling is never going to come. What happens is you make the choice and the feeling follows. God will give you that peace and that wholeness as you move forward with or without that person in your life. God will allow you and bestow upon you that peace. The feeling comes after and often the feeling is the comfort from the Holy Spirit, from knowing that you made the right choice and being comforted by God because he is pleased with the choice that you've made regardless of how difficult that it was because he sees and he knows how hard it was, but he's going to honor that choice that you made to forgive and to move forward in a holy and just and righteous way. Second, forgiveness is a process. It is not an event. Guys, I get this. There are times that I've had, I've resolved with between me and God that I'm going to forgive somebody, but I've returned to that hurt time and time again, and I've allowed it to poison me against someone, or I've allowed it to stew inside of me for a very long time. At, at times, I'll bring up what they've done again, or I don't leave it in the past, or hold it against them in some way, and that is what is unholy. There are things that you're going to have to move forward from or feel like you have to turn over to God so many times. There is a saying from the pastor at my old church and he says, give it over and over until it's over. You may have to turn something over to God what feels like a million times. That you may have to release something to God's hands repeatedly and repeatedly and over and over again until you feel healed, until you move forward into the healing stage. And that can be hard. That's why forgiveness is challenging because a lot of us just want to have that event and say, you know, I forgive that person, have the feeling and move on and never have it affect us again. But guys, I know that there are times when things that have happened to you, they stay stuck with you for a very long time. I've had some things that were said to me when I was in high school. And listen, I have graduated from college and finished a master's degree. That was several years ago. And I still remember some of those hurtful words that were said to me in high school by people. Things that were damaging to my self-esteem or to my self-worth, and they've stuck with me for years. Doesn't mean that I'm angry at that person anymore or that I've not forgiven them. No, I have forgiven that person. I've forgiven the way that they've hurt me and I've released that, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't stay in my memory at times. We can't help the fact that we remember how things have affected us. So forgiveness is a process. You're going to have to turn it. You may have to turn it over to God on several occasions and he wants you to run to him with that pain and in that challenge and he wants to meet you in that. God will meet you in that. 
The third aspect is forgiveness is not optional. It is required for the believer. I mentioned this at the beginning of the episode. This one is hard. I I hesitate even to say this sometimes because I know that there are people in the world that have suffered incredible heart and abuse or they have childhood trauma. They have pain that has endured for a very long time in their lives, deep-seated emotional and spiritual wounds in their lives. So I do not want to say this without compassion. I have the utmost empathy and compassion for what you have gone through. And you might be saying, you know, Allison, you don't know what's what's happened to me. You don't know what's been done to me. And you're right. The truth is that I don't. Me speaking to you right now in this moment, I'm not currently aware of the extent of what you may have experienced at the hands of someone else or by the words of someone else. Something could have happened to you that was so incredibly evil that it is hard to talk about or hard to speak of it. Things that have truly hurt you and downgraded you and wounded you in ways that have felt at many times irreparable. Although I can't always understand all those things because I have not been through those things myself, there is somebody who knows your pain and has been broken beyond repair and has felt completely abandoned and alone. There is somebody that was so broken that he died, and that is Jesus. Forgiveness and justice at the end of the day belong to God. We have to trust in God's wrath. We have to trust in God's justice. This is exactly the reason why Jesus came. And this is what it's all about when we talk about the Christmas story and the reason that Jesus came. Sin requires a penalty. For God to be able to forgive, payment and retribution are required. Somebody has to suffer for that sin. There may be something in your life that when you think about it, you think, Somebody just has to pay. Somebody has to pay for how painful that was and how much that hurt. I don't know who, but somebody needs to be punished for that. I can relate to that. I completely understand that feeling. And you know what? God actually does too. Leviticus 4-5 through often referenced the fact that the Israelites had to conduct animal sacrifices in order to receive forgiveness. There had to be some form of payment and retribution and revenge. God's wrath had to be poured out upon a life because sin requires the death penalty. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We know for a fact that sin requires the death penalty and there is no way that we could measure up for that. And the good news is that the hurt that you've experienced at the hands of someone else, if you're thinking to yourself, somebody has to pay for that, somebody needs to be held accountable and held responsible for that, you know who was? Jesus. Someone has already paid that debt. We know that in the past, the Israelites had to present a spotless lamb before God and the death penalty had to be incurred upon that animal in order for to God for God to live peaceably among a nation that was evil and unholy. Leviticus 4, 32 through 35 says, If he brings a lamb as his offering for sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish and lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it for a sin offering in the place where they killed a burnt offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. And all its fat he shall remove as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the Lord's food offerings. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. 
This is actually exactly what happened on the cross. This is the transaction that took place on the cross. And now I don't have time to get all into the theology of what atonement completed. There are a ton of different theology and doctrinal beliefs about the transaction that occurred on the cross and the way that God was able to forgive our sins through Jesus' sacrifice. I don't have time to get into that. That's an episode for another time, but it is a fascinating thing to research. Uh, maybe I'll include an article in the show notes for you to kind of explore that further if you're interested. But what we know here, what we know for a fact that we don't have to speculate about is the fact that Jesus was punished not just for your sins, which you know, but also for all the sins of other people for all time. And so you can release that. You can release the hurt that you feel because of what that person has done or said to you because you know what? Jesus was punished for that. And even further than that, although it might be very challenging to hear, you owe God way more than people owe you. Jesus explained this himself in Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant. Starting in verse 21, it says, Peter came up to him and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. I just want to pause there. That essentially meant infinity. So he's not saying an exact calculation of how many times, but what he is trying to indicate to Peter is that although Peter thought seven times was so many times to forgive his brother, Jesus is saying, actually, you know what? I want to, I want you to forgive them for infinity. And then he goes on to say, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Just want to stop there briefly and mention that 10,000 talents is something we may not be familiar with, but there are a lot of different scholars who have different ideas of what that would have meant. Some people would say it's somewhere between 12 million or even upwards of a billion US dollars as we understand it today. So keep in mind this idea that it's something that you could literally never pay off. You may be familiar with this if you have had ex- if you have experienced debt in your life whether that's student loan debt or credit card debt, that can sometimes feel like an insurmountable amount of debt. By the grace of God, if you've paid that off and you've been freed from that debt, that is amazing and praise God for that. In this particular passage, Jesus is trying to say to us, this was a debt that he could have never paid off. There's no way anyone of us would be able to pay off a a 12 million or a billion dollar debt to somebody. So it's an unpayable, it's a lifelong debt. So he continues on to say, the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But... When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him and began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. Just want to pause there real quick again and mention that the commentary that I was using indicated this might be somewhere to a hundred days worth of wages. So it is nowhere close to the amount that the original servant owed the king. Now it's still quite a bit of money, but it's something that's repayable within time. So keeping in mind here that the person that was just forgiven a life debt goes to somebody who owes him about maybe a third of years of wages and chokes him out saying, you need to pay me. Jesus goes on to say, his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. 
When his fellow servants saw what he had taken what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay back all his debt. So also, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is an incredibly powerful passage from Jesus. Jesus is saying something so radically countercultural that in this time, although we are familiar with this passage, we've heard it many times, in this time, this would have been completely unheard of. It would have been unheard of for a rabbi or a Jewish teacher of the law to say, you should forgive somebody an infinite amount of times, regardless of how much they owe you. And Jesus is saying here, you know why? You Would you like to understand why that you should do that? Because you owe me a lifelong debt you could never even begin to dream of or imagine repaying back to me. My heavenly father, guess how much you owe him? But the amount that we owe God truly just even from our thought life, you might think that you're a good person. You know, I've never hurt anybody too much. I've never murdered. I don't lie that much. You know, I'm a pretty decent person. I don't go out of my way to create pain in other lives. But what God is saying here is, no, you're actually a morally corrupt person. And the amount that you owe me, you owe me essentially the death penalty. For how many times you have transgressed my law and stepped over what is right and good in the order that I've created. The chaos that you've created in your life and the lives of others is a life debt you could never repay. Probably way more than you can even conceptualize of a billion dollars. So that's what Jesus is saying here. It's a really harsh truth. It's something that is incredibly convicting for me and I hope for you as well. Something that's always been powerful for me to return to when I'm having a struggle forgiving someone for what they've said or done to me. If one of us tried to list every way that we've broken God's law or commandment or any way that we've strayed away from his guidance, if we tried to write down a list of everything we've done in our life, we would never be finish. It would take you millions of lifetimes to go down and write down all the different ways that you have transgressed God's law. And you might think, you know what? I'm not that bad of a person. Would you really like to try your hand at telling the God of the universe that you're not so bad? I don't know how that debate would turn out for you. For me, I know that I'm an evil person. I know that the world would run out of paper if we tried to write down all the bad things I've said or or done or thought about other people. God hates and must punish evil. His character is holy and righteous and good, and he wouldn't be just or holy or good if he didn't punish that. God says that even our thought life can be sinful. This was another radical thing Jesus said. This is recorded in Matthew 5 when Jesus talks about lust. He says, you have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Want to pause there? I know that's just the first sentence, but what Jesus is referring to here is the old Torah law. This is the Bible that the Jewish people would have been familiar with at the time. And they were commanded they should not commit adultery. So that means, you know, sleep with another man's wife or sleep out, sleep together out of wedlock. And so the Jewish people were very familiar with this concept that they should not sleep with or be having sex outside of marriage or with people that were not their spouse. So Jesus goes on to say, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. 
Again, an insane and radical thing for Jesus to say to a group of people that were very familiar with God's law. Listen, these were God's people. These were God's chosen people. They were familiar with his moral order and the way that things should be done. But Jesus is upending that completely. And he's saying, it's not enough just to not sleep with your neighbor's wife. Don't even look at her or think of her in a lustful way. So, what this really proves to us is that even our thought life can be an incredibly evil thing. Even our thought life can be something that transgresses God's law. And I think a lot of times we diminish the fact that our thought life can be very evil and can be very toxic because we think, well, I'm not actually saying those things to that person or I'm not actually doing what I would like to do to that person, which is sometimes it's shaking them upside the head or slapping them in the face. That's what I like to do sometimes to people when they upset me. You think, you know what, well, I don't do that. What Jesus is saying here, that even the thought of it is evil. Even the fact that you have evil intent or hatred against another person in your heart is enough for God to condemn you. Even that one sin would be enough for you to, to receive the death penalty, which is something that completely upset the Jewish leaders. That's something we can talk about. The Jewish religious leaders, that's something we can talk about in another episode even. This is what caused him to end up being crucified, saying things like this that upset people and offended people deeply. People did not like to be told that they were evil in their hearts. And it's hard for us to hear even now today, even as I am saying these very words to you right now for this podcast episode, it's hard for me to hear too. It's hard for me to hear that I'm an evil person, even just the way that I think of other people and judge others or look down on them. So if this is something that's hard for you to hear, I just want to encourage you that you're not alone in that. But at the end of the day, we are still commanded to forgive other people because of the way we had transgressed God's law. Were we to hold things against other people, we are as evil as that servant who was forgiven a life debt and then went out and choked his neighbor for a third of a year's worth of wages. That's how bad we look. And it's not a great look. That's not how we want to be looking. That's not the model or the character that we want to display to other people, especially for we as Christians to be disciples of Jesus and refuse to forgive each other. We look as awful as that servant. This is a warning. That passage is a very clear warning from Jesus. And it's so very shocking because it is meant to stay stuck in your mind. You are meant to feel complete and utter disgust at that servant who went out and choked his neighbor. But Jesus is saying, I know you're disgusted with that person, but that person's actually you. So will your heavenly father not forgive you if you do not forgive the people that owe you way less. The amount that he's forgiven you, it's, it's larger than the ocean. And this is another thing that we really need to get when we understand that forgiveness and justice belong to God. We have to keep in mind the proportion of our forgiveness in relationship to God's. Listen to me when I say, if your forgiveness capacity is a teaspoon, the Lord's capacity to forgive is the ocean. All of the oceans, the entire oceans, all of them. And yours is a teaspoon of that. Your capacity to forgive people is completely and utterly lost without God. That teaspoon, you would be nothing without him. But yet you get to contribute and be part of that ocean God upholds your forgiveness. And you know why? It's because he's forgiven you so much more. If you want to think about somebody who deserved all the revenge in the world and partook in none of revenge, there is no one other than that, than Jesus, our Savior. Let's just, let's just for a moment, if you'll humor me, take a quick list of all the terrible things that happened to Jesus. And, you know, we couldn't write them all down, but I, I tried to kind of summarize them. Jesus 
First of all, never did anything wrong. Yes, he offended people, but he was always completely right. People were only offended because their evil was being pointed out and they didn't like that. He was that perfect spotless lamb, the one that I talked about in Leviticus. Unlike you who are full of spiritual blemishes and moral failures. Yet, what happened to Jesus? He was tempted. The devil tempted him. And we can talk about that temptation also because that's an amazing passage as well, but I would encourage you to read that. That can be found in Matthew 4 if you're interested in reading about the temptation of Jesus. Jesus was also completely misunderstood. So if you're feeling misunderstood in your pain, believe me that Jesus understands that. Even his own followers, his own disciples, the people that were closest to him and witnessed everything that he did, they didn't even fully understand him. And I can imagine how lonely and isolating that must have felt. So if you're feeling lonely and isolated in your pain and you're feeling like nobody understands, just know that Jesus could relate to that. Furthermore, he was abandoned. In the hour right before, in the hours before him being crucified, he asked his disciples to stay up and wait with him. And as he was praying and pouring out his heart to God, his disciples fell asleep. You heard me right that they literally fell asleep. They could not be bothered enough by his pain to even stay awake. And could you imagine how hurtful that must have been? Furthermore, he was wrongfully accused and blamed. He was betrayed by his disciple Judas and Peter denied him. Let's just talk for a second. If you've been deeply betrayed, I don't know what has happened to you or what hurt has been done for you. Like I said, the feelings that you have and the consequences are completely valid and they're completely real. But I also want you to understand if you've been deeply betrayed by somebody and someone has lied to you and just completely deceived you and they're not the person that you wanted or thought them to be, Jesus understands that feeling because you know what? Judas betrayed him. Matthew 26, 15 says, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? This is Judas speaking. And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. If you have been deeply betrayed or deceived by someone, please believe me when I say that Jesus completely understands your pain. Judas betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. And when we're talking here about 30 pieces of silver, as we're here on a roll talking about the exchange rate between first century currency and now, what we could see that is as several thousand denarii, which is likely 20 years of labor. I will make sure to link the commentary that I'm reading for that information. The major point of that is not necessarily the amount of money, but just the fact that Jesus had poured his heart and his soul into his disciples. And in return, one of them betrayed him and gave him over. So if you have somebody in your life that you've poured your heart and soul into and they betrayed you deeply, just know that Jesus understands that pain. Furthermore, after all of that, he ends up being beaten by a reed stick. He has a crown of thorns placed in his head. He was spat on. People mock saluted him, called him the king of the Jews in a mocking tone. They crucified him, which was the most horrendous and painful way that had been invented thus far for somebody to die. Think about the fact that today when we issue, when the U.S. issues the death penalty, that person sits in a chair peacefully and poison is put into their body and they pass away quietly. Not so with Jesus. Jesus was crucified, which meant that he was nailed up to a cross or tied up to a cross 
put up on a wooden beam. We don't even fully know if it was even a cross shape. There are some scholars that talk about the fact that they allude to the cross being T-shaped, but we're not even 100% sure. All we know is he was tied up to a, to a wooden beam. He was pierced in his abdomen. And after all of that, what did he say with his dying breaths? Luke 23, 34 says, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Even as they were casting lots, Jesus knew they were doing that. He still says, Father, forgive them as he's hanging on the cross. After all of this, when he has been so completely wrongfully accused and is knowing that he's in the process of being murdered, Jesus says, Father, forgive them because they don't understand. And I think that that's something that we can really look to because a lot of times when we're hurt, regardless of how little or how deep the wound may go, a lot of times that person will never fully understand the pain that they cause in our life. How sweet sometimes we feel like we want that sweet moment where that person's going to completely understand. They're going to grovel. They're going to get on their knees and they're going to beg us for forgiveness. How amazing would that moment be? We just want that one sweet moment. But a lot of times that never comes. A lot of times that never comes and those people never repent and they never forgive. Praise God if they do. Praise God if that person recognizes the pain they cause in your life, but a lot of times they won't necessarily. And what Jesus is modeling here, even as he died, is that you don't need that moment because you know who took on all of that pain and who fully understands the havoc that is wreaked in your life, the chaos that has resulted in your life. As a result of someone sinning against you, Jesus understands and he models that forgiveness right here in this passage. When you fully understand what Jesus had to go through in order to save you from your sin, you don't have an excuse not to forgive other people. And I say this again with utmost delicacy that I may not be aware of what you have gone through or what you are having to forgive, but what I want to say with complete truth is that God is still calling you to forgive this, forgive that regardless of what it, what it is, regardless of how hard he knows that process is going to be for you. Forgiveness will change your life when you understand what you have been pardoned from, what you have been spared from and released from. When you read through Jesus' crucifixion and all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have an account of it. I was reading it just yesterday and it, it it's so heavy and hard to read. But when you read that with the view that you know that is what you deserved, that and more to take on the entire wrath of God for all the sins, for all of time, for all people that were ever created, if you could even conceptualize the amount of people that have lived. We already talked about the fact that for one person, the world would literally run out of paper were we to write down all their, their sins. When you think about the fact that how many billions of people have lived since God created the world and that Jesus suffered that on the cross, not only while being physically tortured, but spiritually tormented because the presence of his father, the presence of Yahweh had left him because God could not be in the same place as evil. Because God is not evil, he could not be with Jesus because Jesus took on all of the sin of the entire world, including yours. When you look at the lens of what Jesus suffered, the fact that that was the death that you deserved, not even not even just the physical torment. I mean, that's that's to say the least of it. But having your father abandon you, that is the craziest part about it all. 
when you know that that's what you've been forgiven of, you realize that you are that servant, the owed, the life debt, and that you don't have an excuse not to forgive somebody else for the way that they've hurt you. When I think about what Jesus went through, the little things that people have said to me or the simple ways that they've offended me feel like absolutely nothing. They feel like a drop in the entire ocean. That is the perspective that understanding what Jesus went through, that's the perspective that it gives you to understand that. Forgiveness is something that will change your life. And through Jesus, forgiveness for your sins is guaranteed to you. It's a gift. It's a free gift to you. And I've heard this saying so many times that Jesus' forgiveness is free to you, but it was not cheap by any means. It cost him his entire life and it cost him momentary separation from God. It cost him death. That person who hurt you does not get off the hook. Jesus bore the sin for that person as much as you. Someone has already paid for that. Someone's already been held responsible for it. In fact, someone that didn't deserve it, someone who was innocent and someone who was God, someone who stepped down from heaven, knowing full well that that's what he was going to endure and lived a whole life. I mean, he lived 30 some years and all of that he knew. He knew that's what he was going to suffer and he still chose to do that. Jesus stepped down from his completely comfy and beautiful and amazing home in heaven and he became fully human he took on your flesh to understand what pain you've been through hebrews 4 15 says for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are yet without sin and this is particularly pertaining to you being tempted to sin We know that Jesus was tempted to sin and did not. We have proof of that in the Bible. But even further than that, we know the pain that Jesus experienced. He felt physical pain. He felt tired. He felt hungry. He felt hurt. The anguish, the emotional and spiritual anguish that he endured on your behalf is incalculable. I, I can't even try to describe it in this podcast episode, nor would anyone ever be able to. That's why it's so incredibly important for you to read the crucifixion and resurrection stories for yourself in the Bible if you want to fully understand that, because I didn't have time to go through the entire stories here. But I just want to reiterate and hone in The fact that this is how we have that connection to Advent and to Christmas and the anticipation of Jesus coming. This is the very reason that we celebrate the fact that Jesus came down to earth. This is the reason why Christmas means so much. Whether or not Jesus was born in December, that's not the important part. The important part is that Jesus came. He became a human on your behalf and to suffer the pain that God should have imparted to you, that God's wrath should have been poured out upon you and instead he completely inundated Jesus with that pain and with that punishment. So if you're wondering how this connects us to Christmas, why you're hearing such heavy things on an Advent episode, this is why. This is the reason that Jesus came at all. This connects us back to the very first episode that I mentioned where we talked about the fall of humanity and the reason that they were separated from God in episode two when we talked about messianic prophecies and episode three when we talked about humility through Joseph's eyes and the fact that Jesus was so humble that he gave up his heavenly status in order to become a human. Philippians 2 5 says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who Though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Pause there. It was the sinner and the criminal's death. He 
took on a criminal's death on your behalf. You are the criminal. You're the one that's committed all the crimes against God. Yet Jesus was the one who went to spiritual jail or prison on your behalf. Furthermore, Paul continues to say, therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what it's all about, folks. This is what Christmas is ultimately about. Yes, it's about the manger scene. Yes, it's about the nativity. Yes, it's about the star and the shepherds and the rejoicing. But at the end of the day, the reason Jesus came in all was so that he could experience this on your behalf. So, just in summary, forgiveness is a choice and it's not a feeling. Could you even imagine that Jesus felt like he wanted to do it? Of course, of course he was not happy about doing that. We see that he even, he shed tears of blood because he was in such anguish about knowing what he was about to experience. Forgiveness is a process and it's not an event. There are, there are certain accounts that explain that Jesus hung on the cross for several hours. That was a process, not just a one-time event. Forgiveness is required. It's not optional. It's not just a great, nice recommendation from God to you. It's required. Because of what you've been forgiven, there is no excuse for you to not forgive others. And I'm preaching to myself, because of what I've been forgiven through Jesus, I have no excuse not to forgive somebody in my life for the hurts that they've done against me, regardless of what they were. And finally, forgiveness and justice belong to God. They were completed and fulfilled through Jesus, and we have to trust God's wrath. It's already been poured out on Jesus. What you've experienced, the payment has already been completed. Somebody has already paid for and been held accountable for that. That's the innocent, perfect, spotless lamb. That is Jesus. I hope that this episode has been helpful to you. I know it's been a really heavy one, even as I speak now. This one was a hard one to record because I know some of the things that I said are not easy to hear and they're not they're not easy for me to say, even to myself. But this is the truth of what the gospel is, that we are inherently sinful people and that Jesus forgave us. So we don't have an excuse not to forgive other people. We just don't. And that's the beauty of it all. That's the beauty of it all, that when you forgive people, you can be freed and released from that prison that you're holding yourself in. God doesn't want you to stay in that. He does not. He doesn't want you to wait for you to feel like you need to forgive people. He doesn't want you to want you to wait until that event comes or that moment comes when you feel like you've forgiven someone and moved past. But he wants to work with you through that. And one of the most powerful ways that you can work through forgiveness is by reading what you've been forgiven. So furthermore, that should make us want to forgive others and also seek the forgiveness of people when we know that we've hurt or wronged them to truly try to be empathetic and understand what pain we might have caused somebody to experience based on what we have done to them and to understand the consequences of our actions as well. That's why we strive to be holy. We strive not to hurt other people because we know how much pain it incurs. When we understand the pain that we experience at the hands of others, we don't want to inflict that on anyone else. We don't want to add that to anyone else's life. So, I I just truly hope that this episode has edified you and has really pulled you closer to Jesus in this Christmas season. I know it's heavy in this holiday time, and I know that sometimes people save these conversations for Easter, but this is a critical thing for us to remember. Every single time that we think of Christmas and celebrate Christmas, this is the exact reason why it happened. I hope that you have a wonderful week, and I will see you next week for our final week of Advent, the fifth week, which is actually going to fall on Christmas Day, which I'm super excited 
excited that Christmas Day will be on a Sunday this year. That is amazing. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And again, I'll see you next time.